journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov to everybody out there. Hope you are healthy, you are sane, and you are safe. And what better way to... Uh, Stay away from the storm outside, then to enter into the Teva, into the words of Torah and uh, create a bubble around you and immerse yourself in the word of God. You know, we have the saying that, not the saying, the teaching that uh, one of the mystical understandings of Noah and the ark was that there was um, a huge storm outside, the world was getting destroyed and Noah went into the Teva, into the Ark. And Teva has the same uh, letters as um, as the word Tevot, which means the letters of the alphabet. And our rabbis teach us that what this is, is that when the world is stormy, not only when we are going through a COVID uh, pandemic, but when the world is stormy, things are going on outside, things are really, really crazy. The, be- the best place to find a haven is to immerse yourself in the words of Torah, create for yourself an ark, and you will be able to ride the waves that are happening outside. And so today I invite you to join me as we follow the life of our forefather Abraham. We are going to be finishing the Parsha of Vayera. I'm pretty proud. We have um, been learning together um, the five books of Moses. We started with the book of Bereshit, the Parsha of Bereshit, which was Genesis. Um, and then we went uh, on to the Parsha of Lech Lecha. And uh, now we are finishing up the Parsha of Vayera. And Vayera finishes on a great, great note because last week we actually uh, followed the drama and the, sus- the suspense of where Abraham took his son Isaac and put him on an altar, and he was just about to sacrifice him when he was stopped by an angel who said, I now know that you are a God-fearing man, and you do not have to do anything to your son, your only son, um, and you can you can move on. And we know that after that, um, Abraham went and extracted a whole lot of promises to God uh, from God that if um, his descendants will be, misbehave in the future, that God should remember this binding of Yitzhak and the self-sacrifice that both Yitzhak and um, Abraham were prepared to go through and keep that as 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 a merit. For us, um, his descendants, if we stray and we leave the path. And truly till today, we know that we say the Akeda every single day. We um, use the reading of the Akeda on Rosh Hashanah. And even in our Slichot, in our penitential prayers that we say before Rosh Hashanah, um, and I think even during Aseret Yemei we make reference to Akeda Titzak because it was so dramatic. It was so, it was, it was such a powerful, powerful moment in history. So we're coming down, so to speak, off that peak now. Um, we had a, a surge of anticipation uh, of what was going to happen. Um, we got to the peak where Abraham was supposed to um, kill his son. He's not. And then God says to Abraham, you can be assured that you'll never suffer again. And um, if you ever want me to be reminded 
then God said, um, you should ask, you should make your descendants blow a ram's horn and it will benefit them greatly for it will remind me of the Akedah to which Abraham said, where is this ram's horn that you mentioned? I have no idea of its significance. And we're told the Midrash says that God said then to Abraham, to Abraham, turn around and you will see it. And so now we're going to pick up the narrative in verse 13 of chapter 22, Perik Chof Beis, Posuk Yud Gimel. Vayisa Abraham et enav. Abraham lifts up his eyes. Vayar and he sees. Vehine ayil achar neechaz basvach bekarnav. He sees a ram and it's caught in the thicket by its thorns. Vayelech Abraham and Abraham goes. Vayikach et ayil and he takes the ram. Vayalehu leoila tachas benoi. He sacrifices it as a burnt offering in his son's place. So when God said, go have a look, go see what's going on, it says that Abram turned around and he saw a ram actually running towards him. But Mr. Satan, the Satan, the, the angel that is there to give us free choice and kind of like make things difficult for us, he confused the poor ram and it caused it to catch its horns in some bushes. And then what happened is the ram managed himself to free himself, and he began running again, and once again it got caught. And this happened another a, a number of times. And Abraham understood from that that God had prepared this ram for him to bring in place of his son. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have actually taken that ram because then he would have had the halachic question or does it belong to somebody else? But the shenanigans that were going on of the ram running and getting caught and running and getting caught, he actually understood that it was coming from God. And in fact, we are told, our sages teach us, that this ram was brought into existence during the twilight of creation. We've spoken about it before. Bain Hashmashot, in that twilight period, where Friday was finishing, Shabbos was coming in, God created weird and wonderful things. You can go back onto High FM and go all the way back to Genesis, and you'll find a podcast about that. And um, God created that because this ram was, in fact, um, needed to be present at the time of Akedah, and it was created before. But really, what is the symbolism of the fact that we are told that the ram's horns were um, caught in a thicket of bushes and furthermore the Midrash goes on and says not only once but a couple of times that it released itself and then it got caught and then it released itself and then it got caught so the Midrash says something um, quite extraordinary it says there will come times in when your descendants sin and are entangled in sin just as this ram is entangled in the thicket and if they repent I will forgive their sins in the merit of the Akedah so it was an almost um, a, a prophecy of sorts that this entire deed that Abraham did and went through really was a huge merit, a huge deposit that he put in our bank account with God. And he knew <clears throat> that, that, you know, in, in generations to come, we will find ourselves entangled in, in the wrong things, in doing the wrong things, in thinking the wrong things, in being the wrong people. And, you know, we will want to come to our senses. And once we do, we will want God to be benevolent, kind, merciful to us. And so this whole Akeda 
um, is really all about that. And then one of the other interesting things that says that Abraham sacrificed it in his son's place. He sacrificed this um, ram instead in his son's place. And uh, again, here the midrash um, is praising Abraham that he really he did have unique intentions when he sacrificed. Um, this ram because when he was slaughtering it he said may this be considered as if I slaughtered my son and when he skinned it he burnt it he sprinkled its blood on the altar everything that was done in those days with each act he went and said may this too be considered as if I did it to my son and um, we're told that finally with tears streaming down his cheeks Abraham prayed to God and said Rabboni Shalom Lord of the universe, I held back all my emotions and I did not even feel any pity for my son just to do your will. May you similarly hold back your anger and direct the pity that I overcame toward my children um, and let that be the merit of the Akeda. Let that protect him. So really this like finalizes and finishes up um, now the sacrifice um, that was brought up on the altar instead of Yitzhak. We're going to go for a little bit of a break, and when we get back, we are going to read something very, very interesting. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Well, welcome back, and we are coming down from the euphoria, from the dramatic um, story that we have been reading about the uh, sacrifice of Isaac. We are in Pasuk Yud Dalad, verse 14. So after he has brought the sacrifice, Abraham says, Vayikra Abraham shem hamokom hahu hashem yir'eh. Asher ye'emar hayom bahar hashem yir'eh. Abraham names the place, names this mountain, hashem Year A, as it says, and today, therefore, we say on Hashem's mountain, Year A, he will be seen. Meaning today, what has been done today will be known forever, and that God will see this mountain, and he will have mercy on my children. So he calls it Yerah, Yare. Now, we've already discussed this, but we know that Noah's son, Shame, was the king of this area and king of this place. And he had originally called it Shalem. Shalem in Hebrew means um, full. He was the king of Shalem. We know that Shalem is the same word of Malkitzedek. We know that Shem was the king Malkitzedek. Um, we know when we go back, if you go back to, to chapter 14, um, of Genesis, you will see it says there, Malki Tzedek, king of Shalem. It's talking about Shem and that he lived in a place called Shalem. Why did he call the place Shalem? What does Shalem mean? Well, Shalem means perfect. And um, we are told that Shem, um, the, the, um, Noah's son, was born circumcised. He was perfect in body. So Shem lived in a place called Shalem, which means whole and perfect. And that's where he lived. He lived on that mountain. 
We also know, and we've spoken about it before, that this mountain that Abraham found himself on now was used in the time of Adam, Harishon, and when Adam, the first man, brought sacrifice, it was the same place that his two sons, Cain and Hevel, brought sacrifice. It's the same place that Noah sacrificed on, and then his son consequently lived there and called it Shalem. So now we have two names. Abraham is giving this place Yura. He's calling it Yura for fear. Okay. And shame called it Shalem, um, wholeness. And God looked at that after Abraham named the place and he said, since this city was given two different names by two different Sadikim, then both need to be used. If I call it Shalem, Abraham will have complaints. And if I call it Yirah, then shame will be slighted. Because both of them feel they have a right to the name. And that because both of them are perfect saints, I am going to please them both. And therefore, da-dam, God ordered this place to be called Yerushalayim, which is what we know today. It bears the name all the way till today. Um, and Yerushalayim is actually made up of the two words, Yira, which comes as fear, Shalem, complete. And we are told even further that this place was once a valley, and at the time of, at the, time of the Arcada, when the divine presence was revealed, and um, God, God, God looked down on Abraham, all the mountains came together, making it a very high place. Now, for all of us who have been fortunate to go to Jerusalem, we know that Jerusalem is hilly. When you make your way to Jerusalem, if you're arriving from the airport, coming from Tel Aviv, you, you can see that you go upwards. You climb up to Yerushalayim. Um, and that is the origin of the name Jerusalem. This is important and, and um, needed to be emphasized again and again. Because we have today, as we have had many, many, many times in history, an ongoing struggle about Jerusalem and um, who Jerusalem belongs to and, you know, who, who, who has connection to it. Undoubtedly, there is no question that the Jewish people are profoundly, profoundly connected to Jerusalem. They were the people who were in Jerusalem originally. Abraham being the first Jew and performed the sacrifice there. We had our temples there. And it was only after that that um, we had a Gentile presence on um, in, in Jerusalem. But <clears throat> what's important to know is that this is very, very much part of the Jewish people, <coughs> excuse me, of the Jewish people. <clears throat> um, it is very much part of our heritage and ultimately, in the unfolding of our messianic redemption, which we are seeing before our eyes, um, even though we think the world is in a tremendous amount of uh, disruption and confusion and negativity, the world is unraveling itself. Nevertheless, all this unraveling is to allow a new world um, to, to, to be birthed. And one of the aspects of all of this is that Jerusalem needs to be the capital of the Jewish people. And interestingly, this, this prophecy, this understanding, um, has been endorsed by the United States of America 
I've spoken many, many times on the radio in saying that Trump is a messianic figure. No, he is not the Mashiach. He is not the Mashiach, but he has a place in the messianic redemption and recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel was only um, putting a stamp on a fact that has been known all the way back down to Genesis chapter 22, that this is, was, and always will be the capital of the Jewish people. And we are told that the reason why God changed it from a valley into a mountain is that it should be visible to all. And, you know, it's, it's central, it's unnegotiable, and it cannot be erased. You cannot go into a political argument and say, well, it's not, and, you know, you need to, to give up X, Y, Z or ABC because of, uh, because, because, you know, now it, it, it belongs to somebody else or whatever it is. So this is absolutely unbelievably, um, uh, interesting and it is encouraging because when one looks at it, one really understands it much, much more. If you have or want to ask a question or make a comment, you're most welcome to do that on 34519. Our telegram number is 061-895-1019. The lines are open. Right. So, Yerushalayim got its name, Jerusalem got its name. What happens after that? Vayikra malach Hashem al-Abraham, sheinit min Abraham now gets a second calling from heaven. Vayomer, and the angel says, Bilishbati ne'um Hashem, ki ya'an asher asita et advar hazeh, velo hasachta et bincha et yechitcha. I have sworn by myself, says God, that you performed this act and you did not hold back your son, your only one. And therefore I will bless you. That your, your offspring will be many. Like the stars of the sky. And they are like the sand of the seashore. And your offspring will inherit the gate of your enemies. And all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves through your descendants because you obeyed my voice. Very, very powerful words here. When God says, I will bless, I will bless you. It implies a double blessing. One blessing was for Abraham and one for his descendants. That's why if we go back to the Slichot again, one of the things we say is, May he who answered Abraham on Har Maria answer us too. So what we are really doing here is we're asking God to answer us just he, as he answered Abraham when he prayed for his descendants after other Akeda, And we pray that God should answer us in a full manner when we pray to him. Now, we're again emphasized that Abraham's descendants will be many like the stars of the heaven and like the sand of the sea. Again here, um, it says that why is it being mentioned? Well, 
And God says, like, says it like that because he's saying if they are worthy, if the Jewish people are worthy, then they can be uplifted as high as the stars of the heaven. If not, they will be like the sand upon which everybody steps. There's another illusion. It says that even when a person has great status and is as high as the stars of the sky, he must remember to remain humble as the sand of the seashore. And uh, we very much are focused on that. We know that when we conclude the Amidah, we say, Let my soul be um, humble, be, uh, like dust, before before everybody. So um, one of the, the traits of Jewish people is that we are likened both to the stars and the sand, and that one of the one of those lessons that we 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 are taught is that humility is one of the foundations of Judaism. If we become proud of ourselves, it can God forbid lead us to sin. We're also told that every part of the ram that Abraham sacrificed was a was in service, had had a divine purpose. We're told that its ashes remained and formed the foundation of the great altar that was in the Holy Temple, which later on was built by Shlomo HaMelech. Its ten sinews were used to make the ten strings of King David's harp. Its skin became Eliyahu Navi's belt. Its two horns were made into trumpets. The left horn was the trumpet that sounded at Har Sinai when the Torah was given. And the right horn, the larger of the two, was put aside. And this it will be sounded when it will be time for the final redemption. And that is why, again, in the Amidah we say, Let sound the great horn for our freedom. And so even the ram itself was used for a divine purpose. And that really then concluded the, the story of Akedas Yitzchak with God's promise, Abraham was satisfied and, and he unbound Yitzchak and he gently took him, um, off the altar. Then we see something interesting happening. Vayashev Abraham et Ne'arav, Abraham returned to the young men. Vayakumo v'yelchu yachdav el be'er shava. And he went, he got up and he went with them to Be'er Sheva, Vayeshev Avram Be'er Sheva, Avram stayed in Be'er Sheva. So we told that Avraham like stopped for a couple of days in Be'er Sheva before he went back to Hebron, because that's where he was leaving, that's where he left his missiles, that's where Sarah is staying. But here we see something interesting. Vayashav Avraham El Ne'arab. Avraham returns to the boys, to, as we know, Yishmael and Eliezer. What on earth happened to Yitzchak? So we are told that he didn't want to bring Yitzchak with him. He actually went and took Yitzchak, as he had promised Sarah, to the yeshiva of Shemba Aver. And that's why the Torah mentions that Abram returns to the boys in the singular he did not return with uh, with 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 uh, Yitzhak. And why did he do that? Well, even though Avram was a brilliant scholar, he was thoroughly versed in Torah. He wanted to bring Yitzhak to the academy because Shem was a better teacher, which was a skill in and of itself. Um, and also, Yitzhak 
there in the yeshiva would have many companions, many friends with which to discuss matters. And that's important when one, one comes to, to, to teaching. We know that until this time, uh, you know, uh, Yitzchak was already 37 years old. Avram couldn't send Yitzchak away because Sarah refused to take her eyes off him. Um, she, he, he was he was so precious to her, but once Yitzhak was now already away from the home, the time for Avraham was right to enroll him into the academy. Um, and uh, remember, he used that as an excuse to take Yitzhak out of the house in the first place. So he brought Yitzhak. So he sat, this whole sacrifice happened at in the afternoon. We're told that he brought Yitzhak that night to the academy. He didn't want, he did it in the dark of night because he didn't want people uh, to see that Yitzhak had survived the ordeal. They might be jealous, etc., etc. Um, interestingly, where do we learn from the fact that if you want not to have jealousy um, upon you, that you should do things quietly? So we learn when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the guy that came and destroyed the first temple. He cast three uh, Jewish leaders at the time, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, into a fiery furnace. And the story goes that they were saved miraculously, and um, we know they, 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 they actually emerged alive, they were healthy, and there's no further mention to them in the Tanakh. Why? Because we're told that afterwards people cast an evil eye, they were very jealous, and they died because of the result of other people's jealousy. So Abraham brought Yitzchak secretly. He didn't want anybody to see Yitzchak. He didn't want even Yishmael or Eliezer to see. And so he brought them there. And we are told that Yitzchak remained in the academy of Shemva Eva in the yeshiva for three years. There is another opinion, however, about why why did it say the Yashiv Abraham in the singular? So another opinion is, in fact, that Abraham, when he was about to perform the the Akeda, actually inadvertently slit Yitzhak's throat, and it started perforating his windpipe. And when Abraham looked up and he saw the ram, we are told that the angels swooped Yitzhak away, and they brought him to Gan Eden, and they left him there so that he could get healed again. And he remained there until Eliezer, which we will learn in the next parsha, brings Rivka back with him three years later. So when the Torah goes and says, Yitzhak went out to meditate in the field, we are told that it wasn't the field that he was in, but in fact that he was in Gan Eden. And when Rivka comes to marry Yitzhak, it says he went out of Gan Eden and he walked into the field towards her. So we've got two different opinions. Um, either or, whichever one it was, Yitzchak does not return with, with Avraham. Rather, Avraham returns to Eliezer and, um, to Yishmael and they go Yachdav together, they go to Beersheba. And Yachdav again, you remember we spoke about that, um, for quite a while when we were following the story um, that was progressing towards the Akeda, the Yalchushnehem Yachta, that they walked together, meaning that there was a wholesomeness, there was a togetherness, there was a singularity of mission um, that didn't allow Abraham to be deterred in any way. And here again, we see that Abraham walked with 
the young men, Vayelchu Yachtav. He walked with them again together. And here the Torah is, 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 uh, telling us and informing us that Abram's heart was exactly the same as theirs. Meaning he didn't walk now with pride that he had attained such a high level of action. He felt that as far as he was concerned, um, any other person who was given this opportunity to uh, perform this mitzvah, he too would have landed up doing exactly like Avraham. An interesting idea. I'm not sure that there are many of us around who would have the strength of character and of connectedness and of absolute um, given, giving, uh, giving over of themselves to actually fulfill the mitzvah of, of what Abraham actually did. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, welcome back. And we are going to conclude the last four uh, verses of chapter 22, which will then conclude the Parsha of Vayera. And this now goes in, and it's the Maftia portion. It's the last portion that we read in the Torah. And this now goes into, interestingly, the lineage, the genealogy of Abraham's um, brother. And we'll see why. And it was after all of these things. It was told to Abraham Lemur, saying, that Milka, who was married to Nahor, your brother, also gave birth to children. Who were his children? Et Utz, the Choro, Utz was his firstborn. Et Buz Achiv, Buz was his brother. Ve'et Kumiel, Avi Aram, and also Kumiel, who becomes the father of Aram. And from Aram, ve'et Keshet, ve'et Chazor, ve'et Pildash, ve'et Yildach, ve'et Betuel, we land up then also getting Kesed, Chazor, Pildash, Yildach, and Betuel, and Ubetuel, Yalad, et Rivka. Okay, Betuel gave birth to a girl called Rivka. So why is the genealogy here? Because here we are now seeing that Abraham's brother and wife have kids, and from them um, they land up having a, a, a daughter that is going to marry Yitzchak. So in essence, what we have is that Yitzchak and Rivka are in fact uh, second cousins. So Abraham had Yitzchak, <clears throat> Nachar had Betuel, and Betuel's daughter um, is Rivka. And so here we have the introduction of Rivka, um, and that's what we're going to follow up in the next parsha. And then the final verse is, Upilaksho Ushma Ruma Vetelet Gamhi et Tevach Vet Nachash Vet Tachash Vet Macha. And then Milka um, had a concubine called Ruma, and she too gave birth to five kids. So what we see over here is that Abraham's brother 
had a number of kids. He had five kids through a concubine, and he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight kids with his wife. And the last kid, Betuel, lands up giving birth to Rivka. Now, why is all of this being said right now? Well, firstly, Abraham was obviously more than elated that the Akedah happened and that um, all's well that ends well. But what he did realize was that Yitzhak was already 37 years old. And on his way home, he thought you know, to himself, I should have seen it that Yitzhak got married when he was 18 because after a short while he would have had children, my joy would have been complete, and even if I had to sacrifice him, at least someone would have been there to carry my name. So he was thinking that on his way back, and Abraham said to himself, well, since God spared my son, I guess I, I see now the urgency that he should get married as soon as possible. Perhaps it would be best to have him marry one of the daughters of my friends, Avner, Eshkol, or Mamre, because even though they are Knanim and not of my family, they're, they're virtuous people. So what if they're not from my family? The main thing is the girl should be virtuous. And the Midrash tells us that God went and said to him, don't think as such thoughts, because at this very moment, a girl is being born, and she will be Yitzchak's bride. And this is where we actually see the fact that um, Rivka is mentioned. And uh, that gave Abraham a lot of comfort in knowing that God, too, had sorted that out. And this is, this is by the way, a lesson in Shaduchim, um, in finding one's mate, that it says a bus call, a voice goes out from heaven 40 days before conception to say that this girl belongs to this boy. Whoever is our bashet is um, decided long before we are born. And all we have to do once we're in this world, we've grown up and we're ready to get married, is to go find our bashet. But God has planned it all along. And uh, we just have to do what's called hishtatlus. We have to just put in the effort speak to people, network, and go around looking for our better half. Um, and that in and of itself is an interesting discussion, not for now, but but um, mentioned over here in telling Abraham, no, you don't have to start trying to make plans and trying to think of, of, of places you should go and you shouldn't go. It's been planned. Just go with the flow. God will show you what to do and how to do it. And further, God said to him as well, just as your grandson Yaakov will someday father 12 tribes, so did your brother father 12 sons. Although Nahor and his wife were very old and childless, I performed this miracle for your sake, because in the, in the last child, Betuel, a wonderful daughter, has just been born to Nahor. And Nahor's son Betuel, her name is Rivka, and she will be Yitzhak's. Uh, Yitzhak's bride. And on that note, we now will be able to say, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazak, that we have, we have, should be strengthened, we should be, we should be strong, we should be strong, and we should be further strengthened. We have now completed the incredible journey of Vayera that started with, um, God appearing to Abraham and telling him about the birth of his son, about Abraham going through the pain of uh, circumcision, Storm and Gomorrah, 
about him raising uh, raising uh, Yitzhak. And I think one of the things that we see was that our forefathers were very, very human um, and very, very much um, part of the world. They had many trials and tribulations that they overcome. Certainly from Abraham's side, he went through 10 very, very difficult tests. And uh, that kind of like always just gives a spin and just a thought now in Corona that we are going through difficult times. We are being tested. Um, we need to find the fortitude and the connection that Avram had with a much, much greater power to understand that this world is not running ad hoc, though it feels that way, but it is really Hashem that is running the world. And all that we have right now is a test. And the test is, are we going to succumb to our fear, our anxiety, our hopelessness, our depression, our all the negative stuff that this COVID has, has brought or are we going to actually rise up to the plate and see this as an opportunity to find things that are much, much more deep, uh, found deep, deep inside of us and um, elevate ourselves, elevate the planet and prepare the world for the final redemption? For me, the answer categorically, unequivocally is the latter. And I encourage each and every one of you to step up to the plate to turn around, look at things positively. We will overcome. We will come out of this, but we need to come out of it with learnt lessons. We need to come out of it with a deeper connection to our Yiddishkeit, to Torah, to our destiny, to who we are as a people. We could see how embedded the psyche of the Jewish people is in the Bible, how very much we are connected to each and every single word that we uh, that we learn. And um, I invite you to join me back again next week where we will now start learning a new Pasha, the Pasha of Chaya Sarah. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay warm.